0: Hi, my name is Caitlin, and welcome to The Gospel House. Our mission here at The Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ.
1: Well, here we go. Today is a fun one, y'all. We are going to, this is week three of our Beyond the Tomb sermon series, where we're talking about what it means for Christians to live in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ bought for, gave us the right to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to figure out how to do that, right? That would be a pretty good idea. So today, we get to talk about that. Specifically, we get to talk about how weird Christianity is. Alright? Now, for those of you who are looking for, like, Christianity is something cool that you can get into, that's going to get you into all the social clubs, there's a version of Christianity that does that. Uh, that's not what I'm preaching today. And I would argue that anybody who is preaching that kind of social club Christianity, y'all might want to find a different church because that's not the real gospel. Um, You know, this is one of the things that I absolutely adore about Jesus. You know, you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. and, And for me, when I read through the Gospels, I see these things that Jesus does. And it's like, it's always something different, but it always just hits me. And it's like, man, Jesus is so good Jesus is so cool and it just like, it just leaves you in awe of who he is. But one of the things that I just adore about Jesus is that Jesus didn't fit in with anybody. It's kind of a weird thing to adore about someone, right? But he didn't care, right? And that is so refreshing in the world that we live in today. Because we live in a world where politicians will sell their souls They will say absolutely anything to get the vote from their political party, right? We live in a world where teenagers, even younger than that, elementary students, are Photoshopping their face and their body so that they can get more likes on social media. We live in a world where kids are causing harm to others or themselves deliberately because of the newest TikTok challenge. We are a culture, we are a human race that is obsessed with fitting in. And as much as you all might like to pretend that you don't care, just wait till that invitation to the party doesn't come, right? Right? I have this joke with my wife, you know, she'll say, she'll say stuff like, oh, you know, like, I'm just, I'm just so mad we didn't get invited to this thing. I say, Jana, would, would we have gone? Well, no, but I wanted to be invited. Uh, you know? But it's true, right? The first thing, we, we are always looking for offense. We are, and, and you know, I, I'm sorry, I threw my wife under the bus. I, the same, same happens to me, right? It's not, not like, oh, Janet, like she's so far behind. That's not what it is. I do the same thing. Well, why didn't we get invited to? We wouldn't have gone anyway. So pff, who cares, right? But th- it's that snub. It's that offense. We, we just crave to fit in. We desire for people to like us. And Jesus absolutely refuses to play that game. He doesn't do it with the world. You don't see him buddying up with the Romans, trying to fit in with them. But he doesn't do it with the religious either. He is in this weird realm where he just doesn't fit, but he doesn't care. Because he knows whose approval he has. He knows that his father has given him his approval, and that's all that matters to Jesus. He can be who God created him to be. And then for us, I think, what's even more refreshing than Jesus doing this, because we have a tendency as Christians to see Jesus and say, well, I have to live up to that example, but it's so high up there, I can't get there, right? But then we see the disciples do the same thing. When we read through the book of Acts, we see the disciples doing the same thing that Jesus did. When the Pharisees and Sadducees take them in and and demand that they no longer speak in the name of Jesus, what do they tell them? They say, we're not here for the favor of man. Whether it's right or not in in the eyes of man, that's not for us. We know that this is what God has told us to do and so this is what we're going to do, right? They do the same thing. The Holy Spirit fills the disciples, and they walk the same way that Jesus did, which means, Christian, that we can do the same, right? We can do the same thing if we truly embrace the gospel, the full gospel, when we have that experience of the resurrected Jesus, all of a sudden we don't care what the world thinks about us anymore. Now we're not arrogant about it, right? We can take this too far. There are some Christians who we don't care what the world thinks about us and so they're you know walking around like pompous jerks. That's not in the Bible anywhere, right? But there is this weird thing that happens when we truly grasp the gospel. We understand where we came from and we understand that we still have the cosmic approval of the creator of the universe. And when we know that, there is nothing that can shake us. So today, let's talk about it. Let's embrace this full gospel and talk about the Stranger Things of Christianity. We put the little trademark sign on there because for those of you who don't know, Stranger Things is a television show. If you don't have Netflix, you have not watched that. Even if you do have Netflix, you may not have watched it. I'm not advocating you do watch it. I've never watched it. But here it is. We're going we're to give them credit, right? We get a pop culture reference and a catchy sermon title, so everybody's winning today. So here's what we're going to talk about. Today, the strange things of Christianity that we're looking at. There is this strange anchor in Christianity that we can find in sin. Who would have thought that we were going to preach on that today, huh? There is also a strange sin that can come up if we're not careful, that we can find in righteousness. Now see, Kurt Munson was talking to me before service about posting clips of, our ser- of my sermons online. This is the reason I'm hesitant to do that. Because somebody's going to post online a clip of Pastor Jeremy saying, there is a strange anchor in sin. And that's going to go viral. And this pastor over in Bowling Green, Ohio, he's preaching that there's an anchor to sin. you got to listen to the whole message, right? Don't take it out of context. So, and then finally, we're going to look at how these things come together and we walk in this strange resurrection life. So first up, let's talk about this anchor of sin, all right? We got to be careful because, now Paul, and we're going to get, we're going to, as we go through Romans, we're going to get a lot of this because Paul's combating the same thing, right? There was this prevalent belief, and y'all, it's not too different from the belief that we see in the church today, there is a prevalent belief in the Roman church that, hey, you know, if, if God's grace is magnified by my sin, then why not sin all the more, right? I'm going to go out and get hooked on every kind of drug so that I can have an awesome testimony when God delivers me. That's not the anchor, y'all, right? And and unfortunately, what we have, this, this has become very prevalent from the pulpit in churches today, right? We have pastors who find themselves more relevant to the culture by boasting in their sin, and unfortunately, they end up talking about their sin more than their Savior who saved them from that sin. Well, I used to go to keggers every night, and I could pound 24 packs of bush light, and man, I did it all. I didn't do that, but... You know, and they brag about this sin. Oh, yeah, and then Jesus saved me. But man, it was so much fun. What are you you doing? That's not the anchor. And Paul says over and over again in Romans, y'all, that's not the anchor. That's not the anchor. The problem is it's a half truth, right? Yes, the depths of our sin make our Savior even more great when you look at the things that Jesus Christ forgave you of, it magnifies grace, right? But it's a half-truth because we can't boast in that. We don't boast in the things that we've done, right? We boast in his grace. And, I mean, truth 101. Truth is 100%, right, y'all? A half-truth is not truth, right, y'all? A half-truth is a lie, right, y'all? The problem is Satan is a master at half-truths. When you go back, you know, in our Easter sermon series, we looked at that, the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. You see the half-truths that he weaves. And y'all, some of you have been living enough life, you know the half-truths that Satan has weaved in your own life. He's a master at it. And the problem is the first half sounds so good, right? And we do, we want to honor God and we want to glorify him. And so we trump up our past to make it look bigger and better so that the things Jesus can forgive us of look bigger and better. But y'all, God doesn't need your help to look great. He's great. He doesn't need you to put him up on a pedestal to try to make him look better. He doesn't need you to lie about your testimony or to, to trump up your past to make him look better. He is good the way he is. And that's the problem. The other half to this is your past cannot glorify God until you move beyond it. Right? You cannot glorify the grace of God until you have moved beyond the past of your sin. While you're still holding on to that sin, you can't boast about it, right? If you're going to boast about God's grace, then live in His grace first. You know, we've got got this faulty idea in the church today, in the Western church today, that grace is just the power to forgive sins. Grace is the power. We've we've hit on this. I'm going to keep hitting on it. Grace is the power to live sin-free right now. Right? To move on past sin, beyond sin, so that you don't turn back to it. Don't strip the gospel of its teeth. There is power to live sin free now, in this moment. But you can't claim that if you're still trying to hold on to your sin. If you're reaching for God's grace with one hand and sin in the other, the two, guys, the two won't let you, right? Where we, we talked about this last week: God and sin. Sin starts where God ends. That, that's what we said last week, right? They're pulling in opposite directions. So if you're trying to hold on to one of each, guess what's going to happen to you? You know that medieval torture device where they'd, I don't even remember what they called it, but they'd string you up and they'd have horses run in opposite directions? Gee, guys, it didn't end pretty, right? Don't do that to yourself. We Christians wonder why we are exhausted all the time. We wonder why this thing is so hard, but it's because we're strung up and we're trying to hold on to both. I got grace in this hand and I got the sin I won't let go of in this hand. And it is tearing me apart. Let go and hold on to grace and let it pull you to God. Look at what Paul says in our reading from today. This is what Jackie just read to us. Therefore you have no excuse, you foolish person. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, you foolish person, who passes judgment on those who practice such things, and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? What is Paul talking about here? I mean, big item. Don't judge others, right? Don't judge. And every single time, y'all, if you really dig down and look at it, when you start judging someone else, what, what, where does that come from? What, what's, the, what's the root of the problem that you have forgotten when you start judging others? And it is that you have forgotten where you came from. The problem that a lot of Christians have today is you've forgotten where you are, right? We've talked about this when we get to these sin lists. We like to put certain sins up on pedestals, right? Because we don't struggle with them. But when we judge, we fail to see that we do struggle with all of these other sins. And we can't do that. We cannot forget. This is the weird anchor that we see in sin. Because if we let it, our past can actually give us one of the greatest things we will ever find in following Jesus. Humility. Right? Micah six 8. I've referenced that before. I, I love it, I love it. I know you're not supposed to do lists. But I like Micah 6.8 because it tells us, you know, Micah says, he has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. One of the three keys of pleasing God is what? Walking humbly. When you forget where you came from, you forget your humility. We've gotta be really, really careful here, though. Humility pushes us to a greater dependence upon God, right? When we look at our past, when we see who we've been, when we see who we are, it magnifies who God is and it pushes us into him. Makes us realize how dependent we are on him to do anything that pleases him. But, but there's a catch here, and i got I to throw this out. I don't do this a lot, and I probably should talk about this more. Everybody has a different personality. Did you guys know that? I'm not advocating you go take a personality test, but especially when it comes to the gospel. We, we've talked about this before. There's an old Martin Luther quote where he talks about it doesn't matter which side of the horse you fall off on. As long as you don't stay on the sa- in the saddle, that's, the devil doesn't care what side of the horse you fall off on. He just doesn't want you to stay in the saddle. And when we talk about the gospel, there's two sides of the horse we can fall off on that I have seen. There is this side of the horse that we fall off on, and honestly, y'all, that, this is the problem I tend to have. This is what I struggle with. So when I preach, I tend to hit more on the side I struggle with, right? Because that's what the Holy Spirit's convicting me of. And that's the side of pride. That's the side that says, I am a child of God, doggone it. Yeah, that's, that's who I am. I'm a child of God, no turning back, no turning back, right? And what happens is, as I do good, as I walk, I go, you know, a couple days. Oh, man, yeah, I haven't sinned. Look at Jeremy go. God, you see me down here? Yeah. That's not good, Right. That's the side we can fall off on. But y'all, the other side, and some of you don't struggle with that. Some of you don't struggle with pride. That's, it's just not a problem with you. The other side that we fall off on is self-depreciation. That's the other side, and y'all, can, I need to tell you this. If that's the side you fall off on, self-depreciation means not thinking much of yourself. It means having little self-worth, thinking that you're nothing, beating yourself down, y'all. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. And actually, self-depreciation is an insult to the God who created you. It absolutely is. There's this quote. I don't love a ton of stuff by Rick Warren, but he has this really good quote. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's what humility is, right? It's not false humility. It's not, oh, yeah, I'm not good at those things. (laughs) But knowing that you are, everybody knows that, and they hate you when you do that, so stop, please. I'm not kidding, they don't hate you, but you know what I mean. But it's also not the other side. It's not beating yourself down over and over again. God, I'm worthless. Oh, God, I'm not even worthy of coming to you. That's not what it is. There's an element, there are elements of each but that's not what humility is. Humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. Not thinking less of yourself. So i got to clear this up because I know that there are some people who struggle with this. Jesus Christ, your Savior, the God of the universe, the God who created all of this, He said that you are worth dying for anchor that believe that now make no mistake since the beginning from adam and eve on sin has wrecked us sin has absolutely ravaged us i I wish that that god could pull back the veil spiritually speaking and we all could look into a mirror to see what we look like as sinful creatures. Because I think there's a spiritual side to all of us, y'all. It would terrify us to see what sin has done to us. It has defaced us. It has dis- dis- disfigured us. It has just wrecked us, painted us black. And you are so soiled by sin that you cannot wash it off except through the blood of Jesus. And y'all, Jesus said you are worth it. If you leave with nothing else today, Jesus Christ said you were worth it. This is a very strange place to put this story. The Holy Spirit's making me a liar I told you all last week I like to save my gospel hammer for the end, right? I like to save it and just boom! And this is such a powerful story. I, I was preparing I, when I decided I was going to put it in the sermon today. I, I read it again just to make sure you know it fit and I remember the story correctly and everything. And I, I cry every time I read it. I don't know if I'll be able to make it through this time without crying. Some of you have heard me tell this before. This is actually a story. It comes from Mark Batterson's book called Whisper. Uh, So if you're ever looking for a book, it's actually a really great book. I would highly uh, suggest it. It's uh, about understanding how to hear the voice of God. Uh, He breaks it down really, really practically. I'd highly suggest it. But this quote has to do with that, but not 100% to do with that. I use it today because I want to paint such a vivid picture to you on how your God feels about you. And this is such a powerful illustration. Here it is. says this. Mary Ann Bird was born in Brooklyn, New York in August 1928. A severe cleft palate required 17 surgeries. You guys all know what the cleft palate is with your lip and everything. But the psychological pain it caused was far worse. Mary Ann couldn't do the simple things, such as blowing up a balloon or drinking from a water fountain. Worst of all, her classmates teased her mercilessly. Mary Ann was also deaf in one ear, so the day of the annual hearing test was her least favorite. But it was one of those least favorite days that turned into the defining day of her life. The whisper test isn't done in schools any longer, so let me explain what it entailed. A teacher would call each child to her desk and ask him or her to cover one ear. Then the teacher would whisper something like, "'The sky is blue,' or, "'You have new shoes.'" If the student repeated the phrase successfully, he or she passed the test. To avoid the humiliation of failing the test, Mary Ann would try to cheat by cupping her hand around her good ear so she could still hear what the teacher said. But she didn't need to the year she had Miss Leonard, the most beloved teacher in her school. I waited for those words, said Mary Ann, which God must have put into her mouth. Oh, man, (laughs) it's coming early. Those seven words which changed my life. Miss Leonard did not choose a random phrase. Instead, she leaned across the desk, got as close as she could to Mary Ann's good ear, and whispered, I wish you were my little girl. The Heavenly Father is whispering those same words to you right now. Y'all, put away this idea that you aren't loved. Put away this idea. The gospel is the only thing that can do this, y'all. Yes, you have been ravaged by sin. I don't know what y'all's past is, but I know every single one of us, the Bible tells us, Every single one of us has been absolutely ruined by sin, wrecked by sin. But Jesus Christ still said, y'all, He paid with His life to show you God wants you to be His. Can you be anything but humble after that? The God of the universe is calling to you now. I want you to be mine. Do you see how this anchors us? It's not the sin that anchors us. Maybe, maybe I should have titled this point differently. But the grace, the grace that pulls us in, in spite of our sin, the grace that holds us, the grace that won't let us run away, it anchors us Y'all, God doesn't need us. You know that? There's nothing about God that he needs us, that he needs our worship, that he is sitting up there and if Jeremy Allen Metzger decides tomorrow, eh, I'm not gonna do this Jesus stuff anymore, that's not gonna break God. But he wants me anyway. And he gave infinitely to have me forever forever. This ought to cause a well of endless thanksgiving to spring up in me, right? It gives me every reason to worship this God of mine, to never stop living for Him, no matter what's going on in life. On my best day, there's a, there's a song by a band that I really like named Cain, but you know the, the chorus of this song, it says, on my best day, I'm a child of God. And on my worst day, I'm a child of God. You see that? Y'all, this is the anchor because it pulls you out of every circumstance, anything that could possibly happen. On your best day, when you're on top of the world, you are still a child of God dependent on your heavenly Father. But on your worst day, when you have screwed up beyond belief, when the storms of life hit over and over again and you feel like you can't keep your head above water, you are still a child of God. That is grace. That is power. Y'all, only from that position can we use our past to help other people, right? And that's why God has given us a past. And this is what can be so powerful about our past. We use that past to help other people. If whatever it is that you've struggled with, whatever it is you've been delivered from, you use it to help others who are going through the same thing. The sin that was once seeking to destroy your life, you use it to save other people from the fire. If God has redeemed my past, there is nothing that he can't redeem in anyone else. That's taking the enemy's plans and it is turning them, his plans to destroy you. It's turning them in an opportunity to save others. The exact opposite for which he had planned. It is turning them around and working them for good. But, guys, God will not work all things together for good if you are still trying to hold on to that sin. He won't do it, He does not play that game. So now it's time, that was uplifting, right? I told you I'd never do uplifting points first. You got two uplifting points today, but you do have a downer, so here it is. And this is the strange sin of righteousness. We humans are a funny animal, aren't we? Whenever things start going well, you would think, that's the blessed life, right? Things are going well, hashtag blessed life, that's, yeah, But it never is, is it? Because when things are going well, when we're doing well for ourselves, when we're checking all the righteousness boxes, when we're not doing the sins that we struggle with, when we're doing a good job, we have a tendency to forget where we came from, don't we? We have a tendency to puff up our chest and start thinking, okay, God, I got this Jesus thing. I'm going to start trying to do it on my own, right? take the training wheels off, and we drive that bike right off the cliff. Right? That's the sin that can come with righteousness. This is the exact problem that Jesus was up against with the Pharisees and Sadducees, isn't it? With all the religious teachers of the day. Y'all, they did all the right things, but they did them the wrong way. They did the right things their way. They prioritized the right laws to make them look better. And they missed the heart of God. They missed what God's desire really was. And before we push it all off on the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders of the day, y'all, it's the same problem we have in the church today with the legalists, right? People who struggle with legalisms, y'all. <laughs> If you're one of those people who likes to tisk tisk on the legalists, right? Oh, those religious folk. Oh, them and their religion, you're just as bad. God got me on that a long time ago. Right? But it is. Oh, those those legalists over there always following their rules, they need to come over to the grace side where we're free. You're just as bad. You are just as guilty. Because what are you doing when you look down your nose at the legalists? Judging, right? What did Paul say not to do? Don't judge, right? And why not? Because you lose your humility. The second you start to judge others, you have lost your humility. And you are no longer walking humbly with your God. Look at what Paul says. We didn't read this today, but this is in the second half of, of uh, Romans 2. He says this, If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and distinguish the things that matter being instructed from the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to people who are blind, a light to those in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, possessing the law, in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth, you therefore who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one is not to steal, do you steal? You who say that one is not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who loathe idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, though through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written.
0: Whoo!
1: When we bring it down, we bring it down. Right? We were all flying high after point one, like, oh, look at the whisper test, y'all. Yeah, and now it just—it's just like the stock market crashing. Bitcoin, right after I bought my first thing. <laughs> Never doing that again. Right. But y'all, come on now. Whose fault is it that God's name is being blasphemed among the Gentiles? Us. Whose fault is it that God's name is being blasphemed by this world? Us. Christians who say they believe, who teach that they believe, and then don't do what they say. Y'all, I promise you, you walk around and you talk to anybody who is skeptical of the faith. And it's it's it, it's not right. I'm not saying this is a good reason, right? The the reasoning would be the same logic as being, well, some people get in car accidents, so I'm not driving a car anymore. R- right? But but people say, Jeremy or, you know, Jeremy, I'll pick on myself, because I don't want to put anybody else on this pedestal that's a bad pedestal but you know Jeremy had a moral failure as the pastor of the gospel house I just can't believe anymore right what are we saying well I knew a Christian once and he was such a hypocrite the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because Jeremy Allen Metzger does not live the faith he claims he possesses that'll get you won't it Please don't put it on me. It's not on me. Put it on yourself. You turn that on yourself. Right? This is the reason people struggle with the faith. Now, we're not going to stay on this point too long, because we hit on it last week pretty heavily. But y'all, when we refuse to be humbled by our sin, this is the problem when we walk into this child of God and I'm a new creation, I don't, that, all that other stuff, look, we're not saying boast in it, but don't forget where you came from. Don't forget how God saved you. Don't forget that the only reason you can stand on this child of God pedestal is because of what Jesus Christ paid for you. The pedestal's not yours. The pedestal's not mine. I stand on it by God's grace and his grace alone. I have to let that humble me. Because as soon as it doesn't, I convince myself that I have something to do with my salvation. Don't I? Don't we? Right? And listen, y'all know this. I, I, I think we all are way more legalistic than we think we are. But when we go through life, when we have a couple of good days and we string them together, when there's that pet sin that we always go back to and we can make it three months without doing it, I haven't gossiped about anybody in three months. We start to feel a little better about ourselves. We start to puff up the chest. We start to walk a little higher, right? And we forget that it's only by staying plugged into the Holy Spirit that we got any of that done in the first place. It's only by God's grace that we got there in the first place. We convince ourselves that we had something to do with it. My favorite preacher, Jonathan Edwards, I love this quote. He says, you contribute nothing to your own salvation except the sin that made it necessary. (laughs) I love that one. That'll get you every time, right? And listen, y'all, maybe you're not like me. Maybe, you know, you, you struggle with self-worth and so you're camping out on point one. Good. Stay there. But look, if you're like me, I need that Jonathan Edwards quote, y'all. I need Romans 3 to remind me that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I need that Romans 5 to remind me that while I was still a sinner, Jesus Christ died for me. I need that because I need to stay humbled. Because I fall into the same trap of righteousness, y'all. That same trap of righteousness. That as I do good, I start thinking that I had something to do with it. But it is only by God's grace. If we forget this, we are no different than the Pharisees. If we forget this, we are no different than the Christian legalists today, than the Christians who judge legalists today We preach not to steal, but we steal. We preach not to commit adultery, but we got 24-7 these thoughts that we are not taking captive in our mind that are running wild. Jesus said that's the same thing as adultery, right? Anybody who thinks lustfully after a woman, it's the same thing as committing adultery in your heart. Are you teaching it? then you better be living it. We teach not to worship idols, but we are bowing down to everything in our culture that is not God. We boast in all the ways we do good, but we ignore all of the areas in our life in which we dishonor God. And all the while, y'all, the wrath of God is being stored up. Y'all, I am not a firm advocate in scare of scaring people into faith. I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. I don't I think that's a poor motivation to get into faith. But I mean, honestly, (laughs) y'all, whatever's gonna get you in the door, just get in the door, right? If I gotta scare you into faith, if I gotta, but listen, I am a fan of truth. I am a fan of universal truth, truths of the universe. And can I share with you a truth of this universe? There is a very real wrath of God. The can hasn't even been opened yet, y'all. And if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you have not come into that saving knowledge, that relationship with Jesus Christ, you are out in the rain without an umbrella. When that wrath falls, it will fall square on your shoulders because Jesus' shoulders will not carry it for you at that point. That's real, y'all. But can I tell you something equally as real, Christian? Those of us who teach these things and live another way, your wrath, is doubled. Now, double, I don't know about doubled. I, I made that up. The Bible doesn't say doubled. But he, it does say greater is the wrath on you than the wrath on unbelievers. You know, I, I've talked about this. We like to put different sins. Oh, homosexuality is so bad. That's like tier one sin with murder. But like gossiping, that's like tier three sin. So I think God's going to be okay with tier three sins. Y'all, the only place where the Bible says that there's a dichotomy in wrath, in who gets wrath and who doesn't, is this. Unbelievers get tier two wrath. Believers who don't do what they say they believe get tier one wrath. Y'all, I don't want to be in that category. And if that means I got to scare y'all into hell or heaven, <laughs> scare y'all into hell, I don't want to do that. If I got to scare y'all into heaven, if I got to scare myself into heaven, y'all, I love you too much. I love our church body too much to let any of us incur that kind of wrath. Because, y'all, if you say you believe in Jesus, but you don't do what he says, who's going to save you on the day of judgment? Who's, Who's left? Nobody, right? Do what he says. Live this truth. Avoid this wrath. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That one doesn't get preached on much anymore, does it? Y'all, there is a side of God that we don't like to talk about in our culture today because it doesn't fit with the little fluffy bunny slippers and you know we've painted God to be this soft cuddly in our grace culture. There's a side of God that we don't talk about but we're going to find out about. Can I encourage you, beloved church, run into his arms right now while it's still a choice. Run into his arms because when it's too late If you don't, you will find that it is an awful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So run into those hands. And we can only do that one way. And that is by living this resurrection life. That's what's so weird about this, about the gospel-centered life, is that there's two sides to it, right? We talked about the, the, that saddle, right? You are a child of God. There is no denying that. The very second you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the second you say, God, I am done doing this my way, I'm ready to go yours. You are a new creation at that moment. Completely new. But there's also that first half of the gospel why did God have to make you completely new? Because you were a wreck before he made you completely new. Right? So it's not about holding on to the sin, but it is about holding on to the grace that brought you in. Right? It is never forgetting. Now, we miss this sometimes. I don't think we should, but we do. Over and over again, one of the themes of the New Testament is that, that we are adopted as children of God, right? Now, now to fully understand that, when in, especially in this culture back then, in Roman culture, when, when you were adopted, you were an equal heir to everything. When you were brought in, you were brought in. There was no difference between you and biological children. You could when you were adopted the parent couldn't be like well I'm going to give my biological children a little bit more that's not how it worked. When you were adopted you were a child. That is it. We've got to understand this, y'all, because when the Bible tells us that we are being adopted, especially us Gentiles who aren't Jewish, that we're being adopted into this faith, there is no longer any difference. There is no difference. The same things that God gives Jesus, his son, his one and only son, those are the same things he gives all of his children, all of his adopted children, right? You guys feel that mantle? You feel that weight? That's how much God loves you. He brought you in completely as his own child, And so we've got to live in it, but that means we've got to live in what he's given. What did God give to Jesus? The Holy Spirit, right? In the book of John, what does Jesus say all the time? I've hit on this again and again and again and again. I only do what I see my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying, right? The Holy Spirit rested on Jesus and stayed on Him and led Jesus in every part of His life. God has given you everything Jesus had, y'all. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This isn't a call to glorify or brag about what we have that other people don't, right? Have you ever heard anyone do that? Well, I have the Holy Spirit. You better not, because the Holy Spirit doesn't do that, right? You don't brag in those gifts, because they're gifts, right? God could just as easily take them away. They're His. And so we walk in them. We walk in that power. This is a call to never forget where you came from. It's also a call to remember that you have been bought with a price. The highest price the universe could ever ask for something, Jesus paid it for you. His life, right? You belong to Jesus. He bought you, you are His. Now, look, there's a romantic side to that, right? I am yours. And you are mine, right? We sing about it. Oh, Jesus, I belong to you, right? There's a romantic side to it, but guys, there's a practical side to this as well. What does it mean when you belong to someone? You don't call the shots anymore, do you? Right? Y'all, when Jesus bought you, you are his, which means when Jesus says go, you go. When Jesus says jump, you jump. When Jesus says talk, you talk. Right? This isn't very popular. I I know a couple people that this really bristles the hair on the backs of their heads when we talk about this. We love the part in Scripture when it talks about how we used to be slaves to sin, but then we've moved on from that. You know, it's about equal, though. Paul talks about being a slave to Christ. Over and over. Go ahead and read through. You look, look through Paul's letters. It's not just Paul either. Look through all of the letters. Look at how these people address themselves to the church. What do they call themselves? Bond servants to the Lord. That's a nice way of putting it because we have a negative connotation on that word slave that we don't really like anymore, so we try to avoid using it. But the, but the, old, the actual literal translation is a bond slave of the Lord. Slaves don't get to tell their masters what they want to do, do they? Do they, y'all? I think a lot more of us Christians, again, this is that, that balance. I don't like the word balance because it's not exactly a balance, but this is, this is that tension that we get. You are a child of God. You are his child. But you've got to live like his slave, which means when your father says, right, God does parenting right. <laughs> not like us parents, right? I'm guilty right? Gideon's learning how to climb on stuff. So he climbs up on chairs. I'm going to tell on myself. I told Jana the other day, he was up on the kitchen table, just sitting up on the kitchen table. Super dangerous. And I said, I told Jana, I said, you know what? Honestly, he's not going to die. Just let him fall. He's going to learn. He'll figure it out. That's not very nice parenting, is it? I went and picked him up off the table. I saved him. Don't worry. I didn't let him fall. Don't call CPS on me. It's Child Protective Services for those of you who don't get acronyms. But God's a perfect parent, right? Which means he's not like Jeremy, but it means when God says to do, I need to obey that command. I need to obey it like a slave. Because y'all, God doesn't really give options. I mean, there have been times God has given me options. There have been times God has said, you know, Jeremy, you can do either one of these things. Either one. I'm blessing you either way you go. And I get to choose. But y'all, there have been other times when God says, Jeremy, go. And y'all, I need to go. I need to stop asking for fleeces. I need to stop asking for clarity. I need to stop asking for a plane to skyride it in the sky. S- God didn't ask for those things. He told you to go. So go, hear his voice, do what he says, see where he's working, go join him where he's working, do what he does, but you belong to Christ. Paul talks, tells us this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 to 20 says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You guys, God lives in the temple, Right? Right? The Spirit of God dwells in the Old Testament temple. Where does the Spirit of God dwell now, y'all? In the temple. You are the temple. You have the Spirit of the living God in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Follow him. Let him lead you. This is how Paul closes this second chapter of Romans. He says, For indeed circumcision is of value if you practice the law, but if you are a violator of the law, your circumcision has turned into uncircumcision. So if the uncircumcised man keeps the requirements of the law, will his uncircumcision not be regarded as circumcision? And he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will he not judge you, though having the letter of the law and circumcisions are a, circumcision are a violator of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outwardly in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from people, but from God. See, this was the hot topic of Paul's day, right? When Paul was in the midst of writing all this. This was the argument. Were Christians their own breed, these Gentiles who came to know Jesus, were they their own thing? Or do we force them to become Jewish? Circumcision was the Jewish thing. That's how you became a Jew. And Paul's argument, you know, it's not Paul's argument, it was God's argument, right? Because in Acts 10, God goofs up, right? When God makes mistakes, y'all, it's to point out errors in our theology, right? God makes the mistake of having the Holy Spirit come and baptize Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Whoops! God, you didn't mean to do that, did you? He did, y'all. Because what was God showing us? It's about obedience to the Spirit. It's about obedience to God. I got in real hot water when I was a youth pastor. <laughs> real hot water for a lot of things. But but I, I preached one sermon, and I said that you don't need to know the Ten Commandments. And I had a parent. Oh, man. Oh, I got every Christian four-letter word I could get. You know, it wasn't like the four-letter words, but it was like, gee, golly, and doggone it, like, you know, the Christian four-letter words, and I got him. He was not happy with me. But again, that's why we don't post sermon clips online without context, right? <laughs> because what I said in the sermon, and I stand by it today, Paul stands by it in Romans 2. You don't have to have the Ten Commandments memorized. Do I think it's a good idea if you memorize the Ten Commandments? Sure, I think it's great anytime you have God's word hidden in your heart. But you don't have to. Because as a spirit-filled believer, you have access to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never lead you to break one of God's commandments. Will he? That's what Paul's saying here, y'all. What is this resurrection life that we talk about? What is it? It's living every moment of every day through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is never giving Jeremy Allen Metzger a say in how my life goes, but it is constantly surrendering. And if I wake up and I say, God, what socks should I put on? And God says, Jeremy, I don't care what socks you put on. You pick. Then guess what I do? I pick whatever socks I want. I have a favorite pair of socks. They're those little ankle socks, you know, that go down. I like them a lot. They're really comfortable. That's what I pick. I pick. But if I wake up one morning and God says, no, I want you to wear your avocado socks, then guess what I'm putting on? My avocado socks. I hate them. They're uncomfortable. But if that's a cross I must bear for the Lord, I kid. But, but, but guys, that's what life is. And what does Paul assure us of? I want to jump back to this just because I want to look. Look, 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 look. What's that last sentence? Not even the full sentence. The last part say. And his praise, that's talking about you and me, right? The spirit-filled believer. His praise is not from people, but from God. Y'all want to be set free from this rat race that we run of trying to please people? I do. I get so tired of it, y'all. It's exhausting, isn't it? Trying to make yourself to look to be something that you're not. You know, frantically clean the house every time before we have guests over because heaven forbid someone thinks that we have children who live in our house, right? You do it too, right? We all do it, right? We gotta make it look like nobody lives here. Perfect, (laughs) shove it all in the closet, right? Let it go. Live for the approval of God. But you gotta do what he says, All of life by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Which means at all times, y'all, this is again one of those two sided swords. At all times, the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You have access to God Himself every moment of every day. But on the flip side of that, every moment of every day, the Holy Spirit is there to direct your steps. You've got to stop relying on your way. And you've got to start listening to Him. Every time when I look through the book of Acts, when I look at the disciples of Jesus Christ, this is what's so incredible about this Christian faith is that the Holy Spirit had taken up residence inside of these men and women and they lived every day in surrender to the Holy Spirit. Every moment of every day, they lived in obedience to the God who is leading them. Y'all, I have been called weird by Christians. There's probably some of y'all who are sitting out there right now who think that I'm weird. I'm cool with it. But I have had Christians tell me that this stuff that I'm preaching to you, 100% dependence on the Holy Spirit, living every moment of every day. Oh, Jeremy, don't you think that's a bit ridiculous? I use the example of socks. I had somebody call me out on that once. That was the example they used. I mean, come on, you really wake up every morning and ask God what socks you should put on? No, I don't. But I wake up every morning ready to be obedient if he tells me what pair of socks to put on. Right. This this is a side story. There was one morning, I, I was getting ready. This is just an example, but I was getting ready, and I, I started putting my shirt on. And God said, No, 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 I don't want you to wear that shirt. I want you to wear this shirt. Like, okay. And it was random because typic- I mean, I'll be honest with y'all. Typically, God doesn't tell me how to get dressed, right? But I did. I put it on, and the shirt the shirt just said, "Love God, love others." It's from an old youth camp that I went to a long time ago and led worship for. And that day I went to lunch, and I I was in a hurry, and I needed something quick, so I went to Burger King, and I I ran into Burger King, and the girl said, man, I really like that shirt. And I said, oh, this? This whole thing? Thanks. And I struck up a conversation with her about Jesus. Do you actually believe that? Do you feel like Christians actually believe that? Because the majority of Christians I talk to, they don't believe that. And I had a great conversation with her. Y'all, I wouldn't have had that conversation if I wore my Carter Park softball champion shirt into Burger King, right? I just wanted to put that plug out there. I used to be something. Softball champs, right? No, I'm just kidding. Right? It's not about every single decision, every moment, every, you know, God, 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 and God's constantly saying, all right, Jeremy, turn left, turn right. Jeremy, pick this up, put this down. That's not what it's about, But it's about every moment of every day being open to if he does. If I walk outside these doors and God says, Jeremy, I don't want you to go home. I want you to go to Best Buy. God, I don't need anything at Best Buy. I didn't ask if you needed anything at Best Buy. Go to Best Buy. It's about getting ready to put my socks on and God saying, nope, I want you to wear a different pair of socks because y'all, you don't know what's going to happen, right? But God knew there was a girl at Burger King who needed to talk to somebody about Jesus. I didn't pray the sinner's prayer with her. She didn't give her heart to the Lord on the spot. None of that happened. And it doesn't matter because that's not my job. My job is obedience to the Holy Spirit. And I believe with all of my heart that that God had a plan and a purpose for that young girl. And there is a reason I had that conversation in that Burger King with her that day. And that I walked out of there and she knew that there is one Christian on this planet that does love her. It's about obedience to God's leading. It's about acknowledging that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And y'all, if we would just get out of the way, God's power, the only thing that limits God's power in your life is your failure to yield control to him. You want to give God 90% of your life? Then he'll move with 90% power. It's not his power that's limited. But you want to give God 100% of your life. You want to say, God, I am yours. Then he is going to move with unmatched power in your life. Everybody says they want an Acts 2 church. Everybody, every Christian, every Pentecostal Christian, charismatic Christian, we want an Acts 2 church. You want an Acts 2 church? Then surrender. Give up all of your life and live open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. God is whispering to you right now, I wish you were mine. I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little boy. How you respond to that call will make all the difference in the world for this life and the next. Will you be entirely his or are you going to hold back? The choice is yours. As for me and my house, I have decided to follow Jesus, y'all. No turning back. No turning back.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.